0: The following is a sermon from Park Church in Denver, Colorado. More information and resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Okay, this
1: morning's reading is from Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. We'll read from 6 through 11. So that's Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one near you in the pew, and you can find today's scripture on page 855 in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have your own Bible, please feel free to take one of these Pew Bibles with you as a gift from Park Church. Acts one, starting in chap- um, Acts one, starting in verse six. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him going into heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Thank you, Amanda. Good morning. It's good to see you all. If we haven't seen you this year, happy new year to you all. Happy Epiphany Sunday also. You're like, what's Epiphany Sunday? Uh, It is the Sunday after the 12 days of Christmas that we celebrate Jesus coming as light, uh, not just to the people of Israel, but to the nations. That He came to be light to the whole world, and so we get to celebrate that today. Uh, We are getting ready to launch into our our new series uh, for five weeks, talking about what it means to live out the mission of God as a people, but before we do, just a couple of quick um, just welcomes. First of all, if you're new to Park Church, I want to say welcome to you, Uh, whatever brought you here today. Maybe you're looking for a new community. Maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and looking for a church family, maybe new to the city. We're glad you're here. Or maybe God's just been doing something in your life as you kind of step into this new year. God's kind of stirring up something within you and moved you to kind of check out a church this morning. Whatever the case may be, uh, we're really glad you're here. Uh, We create space for people that are new to Park Church to learn a little more about us every service. And so right after the service, there's a room in the corner uh, of the gallery over there. It says new here. And we take about 10 minutes to share with you a little bit about our mission as a church, to get to know you a little bit, answer any questions you might have, and then give you some next steps to getting plugged into our community. Uh, We worship Jesus together on Sundays, and we spend time in his word learning as a community who is Jesus, What, what is it that he's done for us. What does it mean to follow him? What's he calling us to here and now in this life? And then we scatter back out into the city in small groups to grow together, but also to serve Christ together and live on mission in in various ways. And so we'd love to share with you a little more about how you could get involved in the life of our church outside of Sunday mornings as well. I um, also want to welcome the kids that are in the room. There are kids in the room among us, and so if you're elementary school kids, want to say welcome to you. Some of the elementary sc- school kids are going to be hanging out with us uh, throughout the mission series. We don't have elementary school classes during the 9 a.m., so the 9 a.m. is full of a bunch of elementary school kids we do right now. If you are an elementary school kid in this room, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we're glad that you're here. You're a part of the church and you're a part of God's mission and you're part of our family and we love you and we're glad you're here uh, and we'd love to continue to grow with you. So thanks for being here this morning. And um, we are, again, beginning a, a series called Living Out the Mission of God. As a church family, our mission as a church is to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And what what we mean when we say that is our our mission as a church, the the mission that Jesus gave his followers, is to be about helping people learn who God is, who he revealed himself to be in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, what it means to be reconciled to God by grace through faith and what Christ has done for us. We believe that what the Bible says is true, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, that he came to earth 2,000 years ago. He laid down his life to bring forgiveness to the ways that we had turned from God, but also to reconcile us to God and to bring us into a family and to give us a a mission, a purpose in this life. And so our mission is to help people learn what it means to be reconciled to God by grace and then to learn inside of that relationship how to follow Jesus's way of life. And so that's what we're all about. want people to learn who Jesus is, what he came to do, what it means to, through Jesus, be reconciled to God, to know the love of God, to know the grace of God, to know the mercy of God, to experience the presence of God, to learn to be with him and to learn in that space, in that relationship, how to be human, the way humans were designed to be, the way that Jesus showed us humanity was supposed to live. And the way that Jesus lived was with his relationship with the Father in, in communion with the Father. He listened to the Father. He prayed to the Father. He walked in the power of the Spirit. He loved the family of God, but he also came to be light to the world. And so we're asking in this particular series, Is as followers of Jesus, as a community of Jesus followers, what does it mean to follow Jesus in the way he related to the world around him? What does it mean to follow Jesus in his identity as as light to the world? He's called us to share with him in that identity. He called himself the light of the world, and then he called his people to be the light of the world. So what does it mean for us to learn, little by little, to follow Jesus in the way we engage in the world around us? And so there are a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings about what that means. I think the biblical picture is beautiful. It is comprehensive. It encompasses all of life. It's compelling. And our hope is that the Spirit of God would move in powerful ways to reignite in us as a church family a passion to live as the followers of Jesus, as light in the world. And so to do that, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would would move among us. Um, Joel mentioned this earlier. Before the service, as we were praying, just some images of the Spirit of God moving and just that moment on Pentecost where the first followers of Jesus gathered in a room where less people than this in a room. And the Spirit of God was poured out and people were compelled by the person of God and the power of the Spirit of God to be a part of what God was doing in the world. And 2,000 years later today, there are men and women and children gathered in rooms, in apartment buildings, in houses, in old churches, in schools, in malls, in fields, in tents, in basements, worshiping Jesus Christ as the king of the world. That's a product of of a handful of people saying, Spirit, fire and wind, come and do it again. Pour out your spirit on us and move. And we're part of that legacy. We're praying that God would do that again. So would you join me as we pray for the spirit of God to move among us? Jesus, we thank you for your love that we get to gather today, um, not questioning whether or not you love us, not wondering if we've done enough to earn your love. We get to own our own frailty, our own humanity, our own weaknesses, our own mistakes, our own sin. We get to own the reality of our lives. And we get to know, we get to know that you love us because you demonstrated it in your life, in your death, in your resurrection. We get to receive your love and rest in your love and rejoice in your love and find peace in your love and be energized by your love. We get to be changed by your love. And so we're praying this morning that you would pour out your spirit on us again in fresh and powerful ways that we would more clearly see you as a God who loves us. Jesus, that we'd see you as the one who laid down your life for us and that your love, your sacrificial love would compel us to be about what you're about, to love what you love, to be passionate about what you're passionate about, and to live our lives following Jesus as light in the world. And so would you pour out your spirit on us here and now today? Fire and wind, come and do it again. Come and do it again. Reignite in us for those who have felt maybe a passion for you that's gone dormant. Complacency has grown up. Maybe even cynicism has creeped in. God, would you dispel the clouds of darkness, bring light, bring clarity, bring passion. I pray you'd move in powerful ways in us and through us. In Christ's name, amen. When we as a church start talking about words like mission or missions, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Like as you're sitting there and you're thinking, the church is going to be talking about living the mission of God. Maybe the word missions brings up for you these kind of like understandings of like overseas missionaries, like the people that pack up their bags and raise support and go over the ocean somewhere to proclaim the gospel or do some work overseas. Maybe that's what comes into your mind when you think about missions. Uh, maybe it has to do with some program that churches have, like a missions program where we help people do missions things, or maybe it's different works that happen in a city, like a mission or justice endeavors. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe if you're not familiar uh, or not kind of didn't grow up around Christianity, when you hear the word mission, you mostly think in just kind of like normal cultural terms, which is like the purpose Of an organization or the purpose of your company, or maybe you're somebody as a family, you have a mission as a family, or maybe you have like a mission statement for your own life. And in that sense, all all your meaning is like your purpose, your purpose. And when we're talking about mission, that's really what we're talking about is our sense of purpose, our sense of purpose. What does it mean to kind of understand God's purposes in the world and our role and our participation in his purposes in the world? Humanity, human beings, were made to live with purpose. In philosophical terms, we're called teleological beings, which means like we have like a destination that we're like wired for. There's like something out there that like, as a human being, we are motivated and driven towards an imagined future. An imagined future. And so you imagine a, a future experience in your own life, or you imagine a future experience of your company, or your, or your business, or you imagine the future of your family, or you imagine the future of our nation, or, or the future of the world, and as human beings, we're wired to kind of orient our life around a purpose of pursuing this imagined future. Well, we are made to live with purpose, and when we lose that purpose, and lose a, a sense of any meaning, or lose hope in that purpose, it can be a really depressing and really um, kind of dark space. In fact, there's a lot of people who have embraced whole philosophies of purposelessness. Uh, One of the the famous kind of like uh, philosophers around this was Bertrand Russell, the British philosopher. He said this uh, at the beginning of the 20th century. He said, there is darkness without and when I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment and then nothing. It's a whole philosophy of There is no purpose. There's no purpose. There's emptiness and darkness out there. And when I die, there will be darkness within. All I get is a moment on this planet with breath in my lungs, and it's trivial. It means nothing. And after that, done. The end. And that sort of like... Way of thinking is actually a pretty common way of thinking in our society. In fact, as people start thinking about meaning and purpose, it's really like anxiety-inducing thought project for most people in our culture. When there's not a clear sense of meaning, you're left to kind of like one, either kind of approach life with that sort of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die approach, which is like have food, have drinks, squeeze as much joy as you can out of life, however you want to find it, and then you die and whatever you can do. Or maybe you kind of like adapt it a little bit. One of the ways we can kind of squeeze joy out of life is by learning how to like care for others. And so if we can do some care for others, it creates a little more joy for you and you get to kind of leave something behind. You can feel better about yourself and then you die and you're done. For, for many people, the thought is, is so overwhelming that we just distract ourselves from it. It is a scary thought. It is a scary thought to kind of sit on a morning, and say, what is the point of today? Does my job have a point? Beyond anything, like, financial. Do my relationships have a point? Does my experience in the church have a point? Does it have a a purpose? Does it have a purpose? And what we believe and what the Bible teaches is that human beings were made with profound purpose. Purpose with a profound purpose. We are made to participate in God's purposes in creation, God's mission in creation. That God himself is on a mission. He's on a mission. He created the world on a mission. The creation itself is a part of the mission of God or what we call missio Dei, the mission of God. He created the world and this is might feel like weird to think about that the God we worship eternally exists in Father, Son, and Spirit with love and joy and fullness and abundance and delight and beauty and goodness eternally. And God creating the world was so that his fullness could be experienced outside of himself, to be enjoyed by a creation outside of himself and reflected back to him and to the world to put on display the beauty of who God is. Jonathan Edwards would say it like this. He, he created the world so that his intra-Trinitarian fullness, got it? Intra-Trinitarian fullness, all that God is, beautiful God, Father, Son, Spirit, all that he is, would exist ad extra, outside of himself. That's why he created the world is that the world be filled up as this creation that experiences his beauty and puts it on display in all of these manifold splendors and majesties and and diversities and unity and harmony and love. That's why he created the world is that the beauty of his glory would be experienced in the world. And when God created the world, he created human beings, and he created this garden, and in the garden it was full of this abundance and order and beauty, and human beings were created to be those who reflect his glory, who enjoy his love, who enjoy his wisdom, his righteousness, his way of life, who listen to him, love him in return, and reflect that love to one another. And the mission that humans were given from the beginning was to fill the whole world with that kind of glory, to be fruitful and multiply, to multiply people who receive the love of God, enjoy his goodness and reflect that to others around. And that's the mission that human beings were given. It's the mission human beings were given. And the interesting thing about that mission that we kind of think about in our world is because of our rebellion against God, we experience a separation from him. We close our eyes and we push him out of our lives. and We push away his glory and we start kind of looking around to the world. What can we get out of the world? And what can we kind of build up for ourselves? And and we still filled the world with human beings, but there are now human beings that aren't experiencing the glory of God, that aren't seeing the glory of God. It's like we're blinded to God's glory. It's like we don't see his beauty. And because we don't see his beauty and we don't see his love and we don't experience his grace and experience his goodness and his mercy and his faithfulness, because we don't experience it, we're left out here like now misrepresenting. We're, we're still filling the world, but we're misrepresenting God in these corrupted ways. There's still beauty. There's still love. There's still friendship. There's still family. There's still culture. There's still joy. But it's all, it's all corrupted. And the, the Bible story is about God's mission through his son, Jesus Christ, and the followers of Jesus, spirit-empowered followers of Jesus, to redeem and restore the world to its original design. That through the church, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, that through his work, his life, death, and resurrection, and through his spirit in us, that the world will be redeemed and restored to be the kind of place where the glory of, of the Lord fills the earth like the waters cover the sea. Like when you think about this kind of like prophetic vision in the prophets, they talk about God's glory filling the whole world like the waters cover the sea, that that that's the mission that we have as a people. So the question we have to ask in this series and that we're asking is, what does that mean for our real lives? What does it mean to live out that mission in our real day-to-day life? And it is beautiful. And it affects the way you think about your work. It affects the way you think about your relationships. It affects the way you think about your recreation and your hobbies. It affects the way you think about your finances and your resources. It reflects the way you think about your passions and your gifts. It reflects the way you think about justice. It affects all of life, all of the time. And our hope as a people is that we would increasingly get our minds and our hearts around not just what God's doing in the world, but the the role he's called us to play. Throughout the Advent series uh, in December, we were talking about this reality that Christ will come again. That Jesus Christ came into this world. He showed us the love of the Father. He laid down his life and he shed his blood to bring forgiveness and reconciliation, to redeem and reconcile to himself a people. And he promised as he ascended into heaven that he'll come again. It's in this passage here. He'll come again and make all things new. Between that moment, 2,000 years ago, and the future return of Christ, we have a role to play, we have a mission. To And so that's what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at that this morning from Acts chapter 1. I want you to look at it in the passage where Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6. This is the resurrected Jesus is speaking to a group of his followers right before he's going to ascend to heaven. And when they are experiencing him and he's teaching them, their expectation is not that he's going to go away from them. Their expectation is Jesus is going to, like, fix the world now. He's going to fix their world, the kingdom of Israel. He's going to restore it here and now. And they misunderstood what he was doing. They loved Jesus. They trusted in Jesus, but they misunderstood what he was doing and what he was calling them to, which I resonate with deeply. I like, I love this passage because it's like these people are like, okay, I like see that you love me. I believe that you died for me. I want to follow you, but you're doing what and what? What? And what's my role, and why does that matter? And I lose sight of it, and I get distracted, and I misunderstand it all the time. And so Jesus is, in this passage, going to clarify for his people what our mission is in the world. Look with me, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. So when they, talking about the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, had come together, like Jesus had told them, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They immediately reflect their misunderstandings. They misunderstand who the agents of the mission are. They think God's going to, Jesus is going to fix it all right now. They don't understand that they have a vital role as a part of God's unfolding purposes in creation. They don't understand their role fully yet. They misunderstand the agents of the mission. They they misunderstand the nature of the mission. They're still thinking about the mission of God in terms of like military restoration of geopolitical power for Israel itself. Like Jesus is going to like drive out the Romans and fix this finally. I get that you needed to die kind of, not totally yet. I get that you rose from the dead. That's still like, it's not computing totally. But are you finally going to like fix Israel and make it what we always hoped it would be? They misunderstand the nature of God's mission. They misunderstand the scope of God's mission. They they imagine it mostly for their community right there in Israel, their community, and they're not understanding that that what Jesus came to do has ramifications, not just for Jerusalem or Judea, it has ramifications for the Samaritans. What? They hated the Samaritans. It has ramifications for the Romans, for the barbarians, for the Greeks. For people across the world that they had never even known existed, that the mission of God has a, a massive scope. And so, what Jesus is gonna do, he's gonna clarify that mission and call them to participate in it. So, that's what we're looking at today, uh, just for a few moments. And what we're gonna do is, throughout this whole series, in each of these five kind of uh, sermons, we'll, we'll take a moment towards the end and say, okay, so what are some ways we as a church can step into that? Step into that. What are some ways we can just learn? not to earn God's love or to prove anything to the world or to prove anything to each other, but if we're wanting to learn to follow Jesus, follow his way of life, what are some steps we could take to learn to follow the way Jesus was and calls us to be a light to the world? And so the first thing we need to clarify that Jesus clarifies is the agents of the mission. Look at what he says. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, are you gonna do your thing now? you gonna fix this problem? And Jesus says, ugh, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. He doesn't even talk about their misunderstanding yet. He just says the timeline is different than you can understand. You don't need to worry yourself about the timeline. Here's what you need to think about. But you will receive power. They're saying, Jesus, will you fix everything? He's like, eh, hold on. Timeline's different than you expect. Mostly what I want you to know is you, you. I'm about to ascend to the right hand of the Father. The mission of redemption and restoration is going to happen in and through you. This would not have made sense to them. It would have been overwhelming to them, which is why Jesus roots the whole thing in his presence and his power with him. You're going to receive power when my very spirit, the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. I'm going to give you the kind of power that I've had to be a part of the mission. This mission that I've been a part of, to bring light to the world, like we celebrate on Epiphany Sunday. Jesus came to be a light to the world. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to give you my power. And you will be my witnesses. It's going to be you. You are the agents of the mission. And it wasn't just the first followers of Jesus. It's all of God's people throughout all of time. In fact, it's why he's called the church to be the church. Listen to this quote from Christopher Wright, his book, The Mission of God. He says, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. God's mission. Remember, God created the world with a mission. Humans, we rebelled against him. We messed the whole thing up. There's separation from God. There's brokenness and corruption. He redeems the church for the sake of restoring, redeeming and restoring his original mission in the world. And that mission is to the ends of the earth. Listen to what N.T. Wright says, another right. N.T. Wright, from his book, The New Testament and the People of God. Matthew's Jesus, speaking of the Gospel of Matthew, instructs his disciples to make disciples and baptize in all the world. Luke's Jesus, Gospel of Luke, commissions his followers to go to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. And John's Jesus, the Gospel of John, says, as the Father sent me, so I send you, so the story of Acts is the story, or rather a story, of early Christian mission. And the letters of Paul confirmed that not only he, but a good many other Christians believed it, their business to travel around the known world telling people that there was another king, this Jesus. And so world mission is thus the first and most obvious feature of early Christian praxis. When you read the Bible you will find a church on mission. The Bible is written by people on mission, for people on mission, to help us understand the nature of our mission, what we're called to, who God is, who we are, what it means to be about his business in the world, what it means to live according to his purpose, his design in the world. We are, you are the agents of the mission. It's easy to start thinking that, that mission or missions is for those professional Christians. The professional Christians, the missionaries that we send over there and the people that stand up on stage up there. And, uh, and our job is to kind of like learn from the professional Christians and, and help fund the professional Christians. What a, what a misunderstanding of the biblical narrative. We are the church, and the mission is ours, yours and mine, together. Different parts to play, different gifts we bring to the table. But the Spirit of God is poured out on the people of God, to give us power for the mission of God as, as a people. It's our mission. It's you, it's you and me. It's this family. God's mission in Denver and around the world, it's us. It's the church. We are the agents of the mission. We need to embrace our role. They also misunderstood the nature of the mission. They misunderstood the nature of the mission. And, and again, in the passage, they're imagining like military, like transformation. And that's not something that most of us kind of misunderstand. We're like, we, we learn from the whole kind of crusades debacle, and by debacle, we're like egregious failure in the history of the church, to kind of pull together colonization with, with missions. Devastating, devastating, devastating. There's that misunderstanding. We're like, well, we don't do that anymore. We're not like, going trying to like, conquer, you know, use military power, but we still misunderstand the nature of the mission. We have our own misunderstandings. For, for some of us, we feel like the mission is stuff just about just about what's happening overseas. Like when we think about mission, it's like we need, we need to just fund the people that are doing stuff overseas because the mission is all about overseas. And we lose sight of the mission that God has for us here and now. Or we understand that the mission is merely proclamation. It's just about evangelization, like telling people the good news about Jesus. That's my mission. So in my workplace, the only thing that matters is telling people about Jesus. That matters, and we'll eventually talk about that. But the mission is bigger. The mission Jesus gives here in the passage, look at how he says it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will bear witness to who I am, when, it, when the word witnesses shows up in a church, some of you start getting jittery because you remember witnessing. Remember witnessing? Anybody have to do that where you'd like be in a youth group and you learn to knock on doors like cold, cold call evangelism? You know, like knocking on the door. Hi, you don't know me. I don't know you. This is weird. I think so too. Uh, but we're all doing it together. So if you were to die today, you're like, what? You know, and God saved people through this stuff, like remarkably, because he's so powerful and beautiful and wonderful. He did it. But you hear that and you're like, please, please don't, please don't. We're not going there. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about sharing the good news in a few weeks. But the mission is bigger than that. The idea of bearing witness, it, when you think culturally, what, what's a witness? It's somebody who testifies to what they've seen or heard. If you call somebody to be a witness in a courtroom, it's because they experienced something and they're supposed to testify to share, here's what I experienced. It's not my job necessarily to prove it to you. It's not my job. I'm just like, I I was a witness. I saw it, and so I'm I'm reporting it. I'm I'm sharing with you. And in the biblical storyline, bearing witness is more than words, but it's not less than words. It's about reflecting Christ in the world and proclaiming Christ to the world. It's about living in such a way that you're reflecting the character of who you've seen God to be. You're reflecting his love, his grace, his justice, his mercy, his forgiveness, his His care, his wisdom. You're you're reflecting it by the way you live and you're proclaiming the good news about Christ, about his love for the world and the gospel with your words. There's a famous quote that's wrongfully attributed to St. Francis Assisi, which is, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And it hurts my heart a little bit and, and the reason why is um, it's true that we're supposed to live in a way that reflects the glory of God in the way we live. But the gospel is, the good news of Jesus is fundamentally, it's news. It's, a, it's something that happened in history that needs to be shared with words. It needs to be shared with words. And so we misunderstand the, the nature of the mission when we make it either... All about just kind of like evangelism, when you lose kind of like the broad thrust of your work and your life and your relationships and your family and and the good work God's called us to do in the world. And we misunderstand the the nature of God's mission when we make it all about living a certain way. And I don't need to tell people about Jesus because that's kind of weird and kind of rings of something like old and staunchy from the church that I don't want to be associated with. It's both reflect Christ in the world and proclaim Christ to the world. And so here's what we're going to talk about over the next five weeks. I want to kind of give you a here's where we're going. If you got one of these on the way in, hopefully you did. If you didn't, uh, we'll keep getting more. Uh, We have, look, conveniently laid out the five next weeks. Thank you, JD. Appreciate that. Um, The five next weeks. What we're talking about today is this global mission of God, that he's on a mission to see his glory fill the whole world. What we'll be talking about next week is, well, what does that matter for me here and now? That there's a role that we play here in Denver. The goal isn't for all people that are part of Park Church to go somewhere else. God called us here. We are the ends of the earth here. The goal is for us to bear witness to Christ here and now. And one of the ways you do that is by showing hospitality and neighborly love to the people around you right now. So we're going to talk about that. Jesus calls us to be people that show hospitality. That's not just like welcome people to cool dinner parties, though that's good. It's also your care for the vulnerable, the marginalized. It's giving people a space to be known, to be dignified, to be loved, to be welcomed, to be restored, especially the vulnerable and the marginalized in our society. That's biblical hospitality. And neighborly love is the same. It's not just being kind to your neighbors, but it is that. It's not less than that. But it's showing love to people that are different than you, who are other, who you don't know, who haven't yet experienced, that kind of neighborly love. We're called to do that here and now. That's hospitality and neighboring. That's next week. The third week, restorative justice, that the people of God have always been a part, not just of kind of interpersonal neighborly love, but being a part of bringing restoration to all the ways that sin has brought corruption and pain and injustice into the world. And so churches and the church has been a part of starting hospitals and orphanages, funding and being about adoptions agencies and starting education and doing poverty care and bringing clean water to different places in the world and helping kind of help people that are struggling with food or nutrition of various kinds that have been starting crisis pregnancy centers that have done incredibly beautiful things to bring justice into the world. Part of civil rights movements that have been started and moved forward by Christians that are saying, I want my life to bring love and justice into the world because that's who God has called us to be. It's a part of our mission in the world. Number four, faith and work. That your work matters. Not just because the money you make from it. Not just because the vacations you may or may not get to go on based on your income and your budgeting. Not just because it's a context where you can tell people about Jesus. But your actual work matters. God created human beings to do meaningful work in the world. When you work in education, or technology, or finance, or the service industry. When you work in these spaces, when you work in ways to actually offer goods and services and products to other human beings to help humanity flourish, to be a blessing to the nations, it's a part of the mission of God. We get to participate in it. We'll talk about that the fourth week. And then finally, we'll come to this fundamental aspect of the mission of the church, which is to share the good news about Jesus that Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world. He laid down his life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to bring forgiveness and reconciliation, and to transform for himself a people who could know his love and reflect his love so that the mission of God could spread from a few people in Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, to Rome, to Greece, to Macedonia, to Turkey, and around the face of the globe. And that's what Jesus says in this final piece here, look at what he says. He talks about their mission. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria into and the end of the earth. So here's, here's something that I, I've been like, has motivated me and kind of fueled my life and my decision-making process for the better part of the past 20 years. That God's given me and you as a people a role to play in this global mission a global mission. He wants to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, in every crack, and every crevice, and every dark corner, and every alley, and every community, and every tribe, and every language group, and every culture, and every nation. God wants the world to know that he's the creator king, and he loves them, and he's demonstrated his love for them in sending Jesus into the world. And in Jesus, he was reconciling people to himself and transforming them. And through his spirit-empowered people, he's spreading the good news of the gospel, just like humanity was commissioned at the very beginning. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's what the church is called to do through the proclamation of the gospel, to be, mul- to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And for 2,000 years, men and women and children have been faithful through the power of the Holy Spirit to pass on the good news of the gospel, to reflect Christ and to proclaim Christ to other communities and to subsequent generations. So that 2,000 years later, a community in Denver, Colorado, that the New Testament authors could not have fathomed existed, are worshiping Jesus Christ as the king of the world and the savior that we all need today. That's because of the faithfulness of ordinary people like you and me just to say, I hear you, Jesus. I'm not needing to earn your love or perform for your love or deserve your love. I'm just receiving your love as a gift and I'm hearing what you've called me to and I'm realigning my life to be about what you're doing in the world. Now, you can begin to think that, again, the call is for everybody to go, everybody to go somewhere else. But don't forget, we are the ends of the earth. And so this mission that started in Jerusalem, went to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, can also be a paradigm through which we think about our own life here and now. What does it mean to bear witness to Christ here and now, but also to care about the other communities across Colorado, the neighborhoods in our city that don't yet know, the neighbors and the coworkers and the colleagues and the family members that don't yet know Jesus, that we're called to bear witness, not to coerce, just to bear witness to what we've experienced from him, what we've received from him, the love he's shown to us, who he is. What does it mean to care about what's happening around the U.S. and church planting around the U.S. where new communities of people are being started in urban contexts and rural contexts, to care about it, to get behind it, say, God, how would you want me to participate in it? What does it mean to care about what God's doing around the world globally? That, that we as a church are a part of helping start church plants and church planting movements all around the world. We've got church planting movements that are being started in the Czech Republic by the Bartols, who came from this community. We've got church planting movements that are being supported and started in Scotland by, by Christy Black, and we got church planning movements that are in Turkey. We got church planning movements in Paris, France, and Mexico City. We got church planning movements that we're a, a part of here. What's our role in that? So let me give you like four ideas and then to invite Andrew to come up and share with you some ways to step into it. Four ways to care about, even if God's called us here and now to bear witness, four ways to keep our eyes towards the global mission. Number one is pray. Two is care. Three is to give, and four is to go. To pray, that we should be a church that's praying for the nations. Praying for missionaries, praying that God would send more laborers out into the fields. Praying, praying for God to move in power. Two, we should be a church that cares. Cares for the missionaries that are out there. Cares for what God's doing around the world. We pay attention. We learn. We listen. We find ways to support them and care for them and and provide for them. Number three is to give. Did you know that over $250,000 last year from this community was given to support missions, works around the world, to help support and fund church plants and missions, works that are happening around the world? $250,000 from your generosity to this church to help support and fund missions, movements around the world. To give. And third, to go. In a church our size, there are people who God will call to go. Some of you have. I see the Gages up here and the work that they've done in Asia to support, provide care for missionaries in Asia. Think about Casey Leba in the house and her going to Alaska to be about making disciples in Alaska. We've got people from this community that have gone and gone. The Bartals went. The Marathas went. The Blacks went. God might call more of you to go, but not everybody. And so our hope is as a community to say, how do we lean into these works with some practical, tangible things? So Andrew's gonna come up and share with you some practical ways we can take little steps into engaging in the mission of God with particular respect to his global mission. Would you welcome Andrew? What's up, church family, how are we doing? I don't know, but
0: I'm really excited for this. This is awesome. This is new space that we've never really stepped into and ventured into, and so I'm excited uh, about the journey over the next couple weeks. Um, but like Gary said, each Sunday we're going to have some particular calls to action following each sermon, and so today I have three action items that we can participate in after the service. And so the first one, um, back in the fall, I started having some conversations with two of our members, Travis and Tyler, uh, and they approached me and were like, hey, we really want to create a community here at Park for people who have either been overseas or are interested in going overseas. We want to create a community of people that pray together. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. So what's not to love? So what we kind of settled on is once a month, we have a group of people who gather together um, to just pray for the nations. So this is discerning about, you know, maybe I feel like the Lord might be leading me here or having people who spent time overseas being able to just pour in and invest and pray over each other. Um, And so that community meets once a month. And so our next meeting is next Sunday, the 15th, um, from 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, and so if that's something that is, like, interesting to you, maybe you've thought about going overseas, or maybe you're like, man, I kind of want to dip my toes back into those waters, Travis is going to be hanging out down here right to my right after the service. So that's call, action call number one. Number two uh, is we want to be a church that is sending people, but we also want to care for those people that we send. Uh, We think about the going process, doesn't just stop when someone, you know, packs their bags and moves across the world, but as a church, we are committed to caring for our missionaries. And so in the upstairs classroom, we've set up a bunch of different tables, uh, have given a table for each one of our partners, and we want to invite you, uh, if you're able to come and write a note of encouragement to them. Uh, We're going to put them together in a binder and ship them all across the world to the Czech Republic and to Lebanon and a bunch of awesome places to really, for our partners to know, man, like the people of Park Church care about me. They're praying for me. They're behind me. Um, and so after the service, once we get done here, you can head up those stairs, the upstairs classroom, write a quick note of encouragement, and then get on with the rest of your Sunday. But I think it's a really cool way that we can love those who we have sent. And then lastly, World Vision is here with us again. Um, If you were here in the fall, we partnered with them for the Chosen initiative and just saw a lot of awesome fruit come from that. And last May, we partnered with them um, in running a marathon for clean water. And so they partner in the Colfax Marathon. Um, For any of you who are crazy enough uh, to go and run a marathon or a half marathon, uh, they provide an opportunity to run for a purpose. Like Gary said, we are beings that are oriented around a purpose. And so not only can you run, but you also can run for a good cause. And so Michelle Tabor from World Vision is hanging out with us today. If that's something that's interesting to you, she is going to be right here. So three calls to action, either talk to Travis, talk to Michelle, or go upstairs and write a letter. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate
2: that. <clears throat> um, if you notice, there are, those are three things that are in three different locations at the same time. And that's on purpose. Because our goal is not to be a community that tries to do everything. It's really destructive. It's a really common pattern uh, for churches like ours is like, hey, we should, we should be doing all the good things. And when you try to do all the good things, it's really overwhelming. Uh, it can be really uh, debilitating. It can create a lot of shame, create a lot of pressure, and that's not healthy. Our goal isn't to, to prove anything. Our goal is to be a community that is so compelled by God's love for us in Christ so compelled by the sacrificial death of Jesus and his resurrection, so aware of his faithful presence with me as I'm learning slowly to follow him, so, so trusting of his power that we'd be willing just to take a step in, in a direction. And that step might be something you're already doing in your life and think that's beautiful. This isn't a pressure campaign, but our goal is to make disciples, to, to learn to follow his way of life. And so we, we've learned that we can be a church that's good at talking about things, we can be a church that can like talk about theology, talk about philosophy, talk about missions, talk about healthy ways or unhealthy ways of engaging in missions. We could do all that. We could do that for hours, seminars, more conversations. Uh, but if we walk away from God's word, where, where God has clearly called us to bear witness to who he is and we walk away unchanged in our actual life, then we're fooling ourselves into thinking we're following Jesus when we're just engaging with ideas. And so we want to create as a church throughout this time, just little baby steps, little simple things that you could do. And you're like, hey, a marathon is not a baby step. That's true. That's true. Uh, you could walk a half marathon and, uh, and there's a whole training thing for it. Uh, you could walk up some stairs right now and write a letter just to encourage missionaries who have gone. Think about what they gave up to go. Think about what they gave up to go. The Bartols that were gospel community leaders here, part of this community, they felt called to this. And they went to the Czech Republic where there are very, very few Christians present and they're helping support a church planting network. It's beautiful. We, we could go upstairs or take a few minutes later in the week if you need to and, and write a card just to pray for them and encourage them. And you can participate in what God's doing in the world. That's a fundamental aspect of what the people of God did in the New Testament is they supported people that were taking the gospel to new communities around the world. We can be a church that's a beautiful support church, a beautiful caring church, there are ways to do that. You can also, again, just be a part of praying for what God's doing. Our hope is not to overwhelm anybody. If you say, there's too much time, I'm doing too many things, I'm already... Okay, take a deep breath. You're loved. You are loved. You're loved. It's, it's, it's remarkable. He loves us. Before we've become anything, He just loves us. And we get to slowly learn. Maybe in time you realize like, I wish I could do something like that, but I've overpacked my schedule. Okay, maybe in this season, it's just learning that. Maybe that's what you're learning is like, I've packed my schedule with too much stuff that I can't do things I would love to do. Okay, maybe over the next year, you can learn to declutter your schedule. It's okay, I'm just learning. We're learning to follow Jesus. And he already loves us, which is beautiful. And, and not only does he love us, but he's demonstrated that love in such a profound way. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, it's been something like a life life verse uh, for me, is from 2 Corinthians chapter five, where the Apostle Paul, who is a part of a group of people that bring the gospel to different cities and communities around the world, said this. He said, for the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He's saying, I used to be about my own thing. I used to be driven towards my own agendas. And then I learned about the love of God. I learned that Jesus laid down his life for me, that through his death I might live. And the life I now get to live, he died for me, not just to like, live it for my own purposes, but that through him, I could similarly lay my life down for the, for the kingdom of God to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And so that's what our prayer is as a people. And that's why we celebrate week in and week out communion, the Lord's table as a centerpiece of who we are. And so I'm gonna pray for us that God would be moving among us in powerful ways. And, and I'm gonna, as we do that, we'll invite the communion service to come up. But before, I just wanna encourage you just to imagine for a moment. Just imagine. Imagine if the spirit of God did it again. Imagine if he did it again right now. If the Spirit of God has poured out and captivated our hearts with God's mission for the world and captivated your heart and made you aware of his love and his presence and his power that is available to you as you bear witness to who he is. And imagine if that affected the way you hung out with your roommates. Imagine that if, if it affected the way you engaged in your neighborhood. Imagine if that began to affect the way you related to your family and your friends. Imagine if that affected the way you show up at work tomorrow. Imagine if that affected the way you think about justice issues in the world and whether or not there's a role that we can play in. it. imagine if it affected the way that we get to participate in what God's doing around the globe in different different nations. For a small community of people that were surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit and received and said, Jesus, we hear you and we're in, we're in. That small group of people, through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, have transformed the world. And I pray that God would do it again. He'd do that among us, in us, and through us. And so would you join me as we pray for the Spirit of God to move through us in this season as a church. Now, Jesus, we pray that you would do it again, as you did on the first Sunday of Pentecost, almost 2,000 years ago, your spirit was poured out on men and women and children. And they were filled up with your spirit, emboldened to reflect you in the way they lived. They were being transformed to live lives as followers. They were given power and words to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And they did it with faithfulness, with weakness, with mistakes, with trouble and, and struggles. But they, they were faithful to carry it on. And then for 2,000 years, there have been men and women and, and children who have gone before us who received the good news of the gospel, who are reconciled, transformed, and were faithful to play their part. Would you help us to be faithful? Would you do it again? Not to earn anything if there are people that feel pressure or feel shame, would you cleanse them of that shame through your love, through the beauty of your sacrificial death for us, your forgiveness? Would your love control us to follow you, Jesus, in the way we relate to the world around us. Would your love compel us to shine like you as light to the world? In Christ's name we pray, amen.
0: Hey, thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. More information and more resources can be found online at parkchurch.org. Take care.